Hi, my name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of Sumia VC, I sat down with Anne Duane, co-founder and managing partner at Village Global. Anne's currently on the board of Harvard Business Publishing, and she was previously chief business officer at Chegg and led Chegg through their IPO. We discussed how Village Global attracted partners like Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and Jeff Bezos. We discussed why Village Global invested in Addy, a buy now, pay later platform for Latin America. We discussed Village Global's new fund of funds and what they're looking for for their investments. We also discussed the advice she'd give herself prior to joining VC, as well as if she thinks current VCs in 2022 should get MBAs. Learn all this and more in this episode of Samia VC. So, Anne, could you start by telling the audience a bit more about your work history up to and including co-founding Village Global? So I'm not a technologist, but I love the fact that technology can make things better, faster, and cheaper. Because without technology, usually you have to choose two of the three. Uh, but technology lets you kind of defy the odds and do all three. And um, I graduated from college, Georgetown, many years ago. And I will tell you that at my first job, I shared a computer. So we've come a long way. My first job out of college was in market research. So I was helping companies analyze data. And what I realized is if you have the data, you can have a lot of influence, even if you don't have a lot of authority. And that was a great uh, learning uh, uh, opportunity. And then I went to my client at the market research firm, offered me a job, and that was Nabisco. And I went into brand management for Planters Peanuts. And uh, that was a great opportunity because at the time, KKR, the big um, investment firm, had done a leverage buyout of Nabisco. And what that meant is they figured out, unfortunately, how to cut a lot of the management layers out of the company um, to make the company run very lean. That was kind of a sad story, but the good news for somebody like me is it meant I had a lot of opportunity to learn and grow and do things. And um, running a PL pretty early in the career, thinking about how do you create value in top line revenue, and then how do you capture value in terms of actual profit was a really good learning experience. Then I decided to get into the internet, and it's kind of a funny story. So I um, met some friends at Nabisco who wanted to pitch the CEO of Nabisco on creating a business on the internet. And so we pitched the CEO on uh, this uh, Nabisco Direct, which would use the internet to um, do things like have relationships with dog owners that were buying milk bone dog biscuits, or maybe sell um, cookie jars that were in the shape of an Oreo or something. And it was really meant to just have a direct relationship with consumers that heretofore Nabisco only had a relationship through retailers. And um, it's a funny story because we went up and presented and the CEO looked at us like we were crazy and sent us away uh, because starting a division of Nabisco called Nabisco Direct, which was what we proposed, seemed like a crazy idea. But what's odd is uh, the next week on a Monday morning, we got a call that said, can you come back and present that idea? And we asked the staff to the CEO what happened. And they said, well, the CEO was at a cocktail party and someone said, what's Nabisco doing on the internet? And he said, we're starting a whole division to focus on this thing. So thankfully for that co cocktail party, uh, we got to do that. Now, 
super early days. Then decided to go to business school um, and came uh, out of business school with the hope of starting a business. And um, with my study group member, uh, Chris Michael, uh, Chris Michael came up with a brilliant idea for a business called military.com. And it was meant to connect service members and veterans with all the benefits of service, as well as their friends over time. And this was a really good application of technology because often technology is really hard to um, change behavior, but technology is really good at making behaviors that people want to do easier, faster, cheaper. And service members and veterans are really willing to help each other get jobs, figure out where to live when they move around bases, um, you know, use their benefits for um, college or for home loans and stuff like that. So um, that was the genesis of military.com. It was a total roller coaster because um, we raised a bunch of venture capital and we almost went out of business in 2001. But, um, you know, pressure creates diamonds and we emerged from that and were acquired by a company called Monster in the job space, monster.com. And then after a couple of years there, went back early stage uh, to join the founders at Zinch, which was meant to be a cinch for gen to help Generation Z get in and pay for college. And uh, we grew fast and then were acquired by Chegg, which is, uh, you might know from the uh, textbooks and study help and things like that. And that's a solution to a chicken and egg problem, Chegg. And uh, we took that company public in 2013. So long way to, to do that, stayed there for a while. And then had the opportunity to join forces um, with my partners to start Village Global. And the idea there was that much of venture capital kind of runs as an artisan business. It's who you know, and um, it's one investor working with their network. But if you think about so many of the businesses that technology founded, there's an opportunity for... Um, and firm to be organized as a network and to do things like have a scout program first pioneered by Sequoia or have a, um, an open application on the web so anyone can apply like Y Combinator to have a really global focus um, and to think about not just the value partners can provide to founders, but how connecting founders to one another as well as to some of the investors in the fund when those companies grow up can be a game changer. So we started Village Global five years ago and uh, have been backing founders and now also emerging managers ever since. Tell us more about the structure of Village Global because Village Global's website opens up to photos of Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Reid Hoffman, Sarah Blakely, literally just to mention a few. Could you tell us a bit more about their connections with Village Global and how the whole firm works? Yeah, so we're a traditional venture fund, um, but these people, these kind of some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world really liked the thesis that a better network, a game-changing network can make a big difference to an early stage founder. And um, also to a person, these people are generally interested on what's happening on the edges of innovation. And so they wanna be part of the next wave of entrepreneurship. So um, we went out to them and we asked them, told them about the thesis, and then we asked them, would you invest in the fund? But also, would you lend your name 
which we thought would help us break through the clutter. And uh, also, um, would you spend some time with breakout companies? And fast forward five years, we've had those folks invest directly in follow-on rounds, meet founders, make game-changing introductions for them. And we hope this is just the beginning. Could you tell the audience a little bit more about why Village Global invested in Addy, a buy now, pay later provider for Latin America? Well, we're very bullish on Latin American uh, uh, opportunities. Uh, it's a fast growing economy and one where technology can potentially enable uh, leapfrogging to adoption of different kinds of um, services. Um, uh, we met Santiago Suarez very early. Uh, in fact, he hadn't even incorporated the company. And he is a force of nature. And he and his team were impressive. And they had a very credible background in building startups, but they also had a big vision and um, a proximity to the Colombian and Latin American markets that we thought, thought kind of is the convergence of a bunch of both knowledge and know-how. And um, this is kind of our approach, which is we are less thesis-driven than people-driven. We're looking for the outliers who can go out, see an opportunity, and just go build it. Besides Latin America, what emerging markets are you most excited about investing in? Well, again, we're less thesis-driven versus people-driven, and the silver lining of the pandemic that we talked that we've all experienced is that the world has gotten a lot flatter. And we think that great companies building for global customers and consumers can be based anywhere. And uh, that being said, we are active in Latin America, we're active in Europe, we're active in Asia, Africa, um, pretty much uh, anywhere we will consider. Um, we haven't, you know, Antarctica, no, but otherwise uh, all fair game. You talked publicly about Village Global's new fund of nano funds. Could you tell the audience more about what prompted that project and your process for vetting these nano funds? We, when we started, as I said, we had the idea that a scout program where we put some of our money in the hands of some of the world's uh, best angel investors. They could be founders themselves that are building their business. They could be um, professors. They could be other people that we think are first call for founders around the world is a really game-changing way to invest because it gives us access to remarkable founders early, um, probably before the hype cycle, and where the benefits of our network in terms of connecting them with other talent, other uh, investors, potential customers can really be outsized. And uh, that strategy of working with angels was, was doing well. And what we noticed over the past couple of years is the world's best angels wanted to, in many cases, raise their own fund. And there were lots of people willing to um, hand them money to let them invest on their behalf. And so we wanted to support those ambitions by investing in those emerging managers. Taking this back to your career history, what informed your decision to get your MBA at Harvard? What should young VCs calculate into their cost and benefit equations when deciding if MBAs are right for them in 2022? It's a great question. And I think the best advice on any career decision is ask a lot of people's advice, but the most important conversation you have is with yourself. It's an introspection of what do I value? What do I want to get out of the experience? The non-conventional answer that I say about business school is the number one benefit I got was friends for life. 
And that is not nothing. Because <laughs> um, at the end of the day, you're not just optimizing for a good career, you're optimizing for a good life. And if someone has the luxury of being able to um, pursue a business school um, opportunity, and I would say specifically a top business school opportunity, which of which there's um, lots of resources and scholarships and grants and everything available to make that affordable, um, is a game changer. And most of the benefit that I got was not specific knowledge. It was a group of people that helped um, inform me about what's possible in the world, and then also inspired me to be a better version of myself. So that's the key is, is this the way you want to invest in yourself today? It's less important than ever before, meaning I don't think you need a credential to do venture, to start a company, to do anything, but it is an amazing um, enabler if you choose to, to do it. To, and, and that's what sometimes people ask me about college because Zinch was um, about helping people get into college. And I think of where you go to college is less important than what you make of yourself when you're there. And so there's lots of options and it's what you make of it. You co-founded military.com. Could you tell us a little bit more about why you decided to start military.com and how much you paid for that domain name? I can take no credit for the idea because my co-founder, Christopher Michael, was in the Naval Reserves and he had served in the Navy prior to business school. And um, he was, uh, after business school, working in a consulting firm and they were looking at venture capital flows to what they called vertical portals. So this was... Uh, places like women.com on the internet. So the thought was, well, people would just come together on the internet and do things. And in Chris's mind, he said, well, I don't know what the valence is between everyone, every woman at women.com, but military.com um, could be a place where people, as I said before, could um, catch up with old friends. They could see if they're relocated for from one military base to another, where's the best place to get housing? How did you navigate to use your GI Bill benefits for college? When you're getting out, how do you get a great job? Should you go to business school or should you not? Um, and so he saw that opportunity. And um, the first domain name that he reserved was militaryadvantage.com. And Military Advantage, kind of a good brand, but Christopher at militaryadvantage.com is a really long email to keep typing and typing and typing. So um, we uh, pursued the opportunity to get to buy military.com. And it's a really funny story. So there is a gentleman who I believe is a computer science professor who in the early 1990s decided to reserve tons of domain names. And that is probably one of the best business models ever because for decades, if you looked at top selling domain names, and the sellers, he was still on the list. So talk about buying things for $75, a couple hundred dollars, and then being able to monetize them for a lot. It's crazy. So um, we bought that for stock and uh, that uh, gentleman did very well. Tell us more about your time as chief business officer at Chegg and how did you navigate both their IPO and the many academic integrity issues that people like to try to peg on these ed tech startups? Um, Chegg was started really as a way to empower students. And um, that ethos of being direct to student was 
number one. And um, it's a tricky thing to navigate because um, the schools traditionally have been the intermediary between all businesses and students, but Chegg runs a direct to consumer business. And um, I think that we were always felt like our goal was to be on the side of the student as they navigated a huge machinery that um, isn't always providing extraordinary ROI to students. And, you know, the, the whole um, emphasis of we could enable a student to get a book 90% cheaper than buying that book new. And um, I think that there's that opportunity um, to provide students overwhelming value. What's also interesting on the Chegg study side is that for a long time, the answers to problem sets were in the book, or at least the answers to the uh, odd number questions were in the back of the book. But the step-by-step -step solutions weren't. And the big opportunity that Chegg study addressed was what I remember one person describing in like a student interview. He said, sometimes I'm working on my problem sets and I at midnight and the study center is closed and there is a moment of despair that I cannot figure it out and I'm alone. And Chegg Study's founder, that product was founded out of addressing that despair. And since most homework in college is not graded, the um, putting step-by-step -step solutions to textbook problems is a win. It's an unlock for a student. And that's really where, um, it, at least during my tenure, that was my impression. HBS Online tweeted in 2016, your character is the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And they attributed that quote to you. And could you go into a little more depth about that quote and what you meant by that? Choose the company you keep very carefully. I mean, there's lots of studies that say that, um, you know, your fitness, your reading level, all this kind of stuff is calibrated by the people you spend the most time with. And in today's world, when businesses and trends are moving very quickly and technology is moving very quickly, I think who you are working with is more important than what you're working on because this, the content of the job can change. And um, I think also businesses can fail. And in the world I you know, work with startups, the odds are statistically that most companies will fail. But especially in Silicon Valley, if you fail, but you built something that legitimately could have been valuable, you treated people well, and you learned a lot, there's a very little penalty for that. And I, the top career advice I give people is when you're considering different opportunities, think about who you're going to be with and, and, um, and do they help you become a better person, better friend, better coworker, um, better person. What would you tell your past undergraduate self about VC knowing what you know now? When I came out of school and, uh, you know, came off my dinosaur to, you know, go to work. No, I, um, <laughs> there was a perception that you could be an operator, like you could build a business or you could be an investor. And today, I think everyone should think like an investor, meaning what are you doing today to create long-term and compounding value? And with AngelList and with the opportunity to do 
very small checks and or um, investments of time as an advisor to friends companies or to other companies, I think everyone can be an investor. And I would encourage more people to think about what are they investing in? And again, if you don't have a lot of cash, that's okay. You can invest time. You can invest time and energy in yourself, or you can invest time and energy in your friends and ventures or, or someone you know as a way to build your skills. Finally, I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question, but with a uniquely Samia VC twist. What important truth about emerging markets or Latin America do very few people agree with you on? Many people in the world believe that there is a growing cadre of companies in, say, India that are building for the globe. And so India has a vast domestic market, but it can also produce companies that uh, generate products for the entire world. And I actually think that the same is true of Latin America. And there's a lot of thought that Latin American companies are only building for Brazil or only building for certain Latin American companies. Okay, and thank you so much for coming on Sumia VC today and talking about everything. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Trip. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sumia VC with Anne Duane. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you view. And also follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and check me out at tripg.me. And uh, you know, came off my dinosaur to you know go to work. No, I um, 